Welcome back, everybody, to the Uncensored CMO. We're into season three now, and I'm very pleased to be joined by one of our guests from season two, Orlando Wood. Now, I've invited him back on because this week, as we're recording, is F Week, and Orlando is going to be revealing some brand new research, building on his seminal work of Lemon from last year. He's got some genuinely really powerful insights, not just on advertising, but on culture in general. And I wanted to catch up with Orlando and find out what has changed in the last year and what new insight does he has, particularly when it comes to advertising online. And uh, you'll really enjoy this one. So this is my catch up with Orlando Wood. Thanks for having me back, John. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming back on. As uh, as listeners will know, if they've listened to season two, you introduced yourself last time. But would you mind just introducing yourself again for those that haven't heard and tell us a little bit about your career and what, uh, brings, what brings you here? here. I, I work with you, John, actually, at System One as Chief Innovation Officer. And I've been working for quite a long time now, also with the IPA as part of their Effectiveness Leadership Group. And I'm an honorary member of the honorary fellow of the IPA, I should say. And I wrote last year this book, Lemon, which traces a change in, in creative style over the last 15 years or so, one that undermines advertising's effectiveness. And this year, I'll be talking about some new work I've been doing, looking at the implications of this for attention and particularly in the online video area. So uh, extending the lemon work into a, a slightly new sphere. Not that I didn't talk about online video on in lemon, but this is a more comprehensive look. Brilliant. Now, I want to get into the what it means for online advertising in a second, but would you just take us back to what inspired Lemon in the first place and some of the insight it was built on? Because you, you talk a lot about Ian McGilchrist in the book, and uh, certainly my response reading it was it, it, it's genuinely fascinating, not just for advertising, but actually culture a, as a whole. And there are some really kind of powerful insights in there. So could you just introduce the, the, the central theme behind the book and what inspired you? I had been reading a book called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist, who is a, a, a scientist who's looked at the way that the brain attends to the world. And of course, anyone in advertising is no doubt interested in attention and the different types of attention that, that the brain brings to bear on the world. And Ian is perhaps the world's foremost brain lateralization expert. That's to say what the left and the right brain do. And since the 1960s, we've had this slightly misguided idea that they do different things, the left and the right brain. It's not that they do different things. It's just that they do things differently, that they have different takes on the world different types of attention they bring to bear on it. And the, the left brain, to cut a long story short, is interested in goal-focused attention. So very narrow a sort of attention that it brings to bear on the world, very literal, quite linear in its thinking. And the right brain, on the other hand, is more broad and vigilant in its attention. It looks around it. It's open to novelty and contradiction. It can believe that two things, are, uh, two different things, are, opposites are true at the same time, open to ambi ambiguous ideas and humor and metaphor and all of those things. And really, we need the right brain to be functioning properly for us all to work because it presents the world to us as it really is. And then the left brain unpacks it and then we reintegrate it into the right brain and then really for whole creative leaps you know we need the whole brain working properly 
But what we've seen in the last 15, 20 years or so, and we've seen this in other periods of history too, that was one of the things I did in Lemon was to show through art how this type of a change has, has happened before in society and therefore in culture. How when the left brain gets a bit dominant, as it tends to on occasion, things get a bit flat and abstracted. There's less emphasis on human interaction, betweenness, as I call it, connection. There's less emphasis on things being played out in lived time. The left brain's quite fixed, has a fixity to it, so you just get snapshots of things. What I did in Lemon was I, I traced this over the, this sort of change in advertising style over the last 15 years, because I noticed that this is a, all these features that Ian McGilchrist talks about in association with the left brain is what we're seeing in advertising, this breaking things up into short, sharp cuts, this lack of lived time, lack of people. We, we see focus on things rather than people. And if people are shown, they're used as sort of props. And this, this sort of reliance on the word and things getting highly rhythmic, these are all the, the attentional preferences of the left brain. What I showed was that this was happening. And I also showed in Lemon that this type of advertising doesn't elicit an emotional response, which is pretty fundamental because, as I show, emotional response to the brand's advertising is associated with greater effectiveness, particularly over the long term, greater market share gain chances, greater chance of driving profit gain. So this is a big problem. It is a very big problem, isn't it? And, and now you launched Lemon pretty much this time last year. So how's the last year been? How's the book gone down? How are sales? What's been the, what's been the feedback to, to the work? Well, it's been busy. I'm, I mean, I'm delighted with the reception, I have to say. I, I couldn't have hoped really for a, a better reception. And I think people will instinctively feel, because it's not just about advertising, it's about culture more broadly and about everything around us, actually, really quite put their finger on. I found it both profound, but also very practical, because the way that you diagnose the left and right brain features in advertising and connect them to effectiveness, you talk about it as being the repair manual, don't you, in the book, which is a lovely metaphor. But I personally found it very practical. And I know when I've been talking to clients about their advertising, I've been able to use Lemon very practically to explain to them why it is or isn't working. So I think the practical application, as well as being quite profound in terms of society and culture, as you talk about, is incredibly good. And we had Mark Ritson on the podcast last time out, and he was saying that so many people are focusing on media effectiveness and no one's really focusing on, I mean, he put it in much more colorful language than I am now, but no one's focusing on actually what you're putting on the media. And what's beautiful about your book is it really focuses on how to make creative effective again. And I say again, because of course, what you show so dramatically in the book is that there's been a sort of decline in creative effectiveness over the past few years. So I think it's that practical guide and handbook that I think I certainly found so useful. One question for you, and again, we touched this on, on the last podcast, to what extent has coronavirus, because obviously since you wrote the book a year ago, the world has changed almost unrecognizably and we're all living in a very different era, it feels, and we're constrained in many different ways. Have you seen any impact of that on some of your insights in the book? What we've found is that the, the insights in Lemon haven't really changed uh, if anything, people are more receptive to this kind of right-brained advertising that focuses on people and connection and uh, a strong sense of place. These things are, are more important to people than, than ever because they're not living them. 
at the moment. What I mean, what we did was we retested a hundred ads from prior to the crisis, and we saw how they performed in the midst of the crisis. This is back in back in late March when things were, you know, everyone was going into lockdown. And we found that those right brain features were, were connecting slightly better, if anything, and the left brain features slightly worse. This mechanistic advertising that focuses on products and is a bit self-conscious and very rhythmic and relies on words, all of those sorts of things. Those ads connecting even less well, if anything, than they were before. It's more relevant, I think, than ever, actually. And that's that was the sort of also the sort of starting point for this new piece of work to demonstrate that, to demonstrate it with the IPA's effectiveness measures on, on their from their data bank, to see if it held true, and also to look at look at its implications for attention in the online video area. Because of course at, at its heart, Ian McGilchrist's work is all about attention and what we pay attention to and the, the sort of types of attention that the left and the right brain bring to bear on the world. Now, that's very interesting, of course, because we talk about the importance of emotion in terms of to drive effectiveness of advertising. But I think um, attention is another very important element because at the end of the day, if, if the advert is not engaging, there's no motive to watch it through to the end. And of course, we've all heard the statistics about how few seconds people actually will sit through an ad before switching channels or looking away and so on. So talk to me a little bit about some of the insights you've found on attention and how it connects to emotion well well emotion has you know there are well at least three you know important ways that emotion helps with advertising if you can evoke an emotional response first of all emotion uh, orientates our attention so it tells us what we should be paying attention to secondly emotion helps to encode what we're experiencing and feeling in long-term memory, which is really important, particularly for the sort of long-term effects that have have disappeared from advertising, market share gain over a longer period. And then finally, it helps us to conjure up a feeling for or against a product in a given category when the time comes. So it helps us to notice things, it helps us to remember things, and it helps us to choose between things. And that's that, that's why emotion is so important. And so when I embarked upon this, I was thinking, well, with a lot of spend now making its way in the, pa- in the pandemic, perhaps accelerated by the pandemic, to online advertising, online video advertising, first of all, can you build uh, a brand with online video advertising, these sort of broader effects, market share gain and profit gain? And then secondly, well, how do you do it? If so, what are the things that we need to do? Because attention is pretty critical in online video because on TV, your ad, of course, will play out to the end, come what may. But that's not the case in a news feed or as a pre-roll. You've got to sustain attention for a reasonable amount of time so that people get to the brand, so that people feel something, of course, that the feeling is inherent in getting the sustaining the attention anyway so that's that's where we started and so we work with the IPA and with Facebook to look at this so I mean that makes complete sense doesn't it if you've got the skip this ad button counting you down five four three two one it's like auditioning isn't it for someone's attention you've got five seconds to convince me this ad is worth watching 
So I wonder, I think maybe traditionally we've thought of TV as being brand building and online being as activation, which maybe is unhelpful in this case. But would you say that it's more important to engage emotionally actually online or, or it's important in TV, of course, but maybe it's even more important online. And maybe, maybe you, want, you, you need to bring some of that emotion up front. You haven't got 30 seconds to build to a climax on. You've got five seconds. If it's important on television, it's imperative online. We've had this idea that because we can target people who are you know, in, in the market for a category or product, our, our ability to target has meant that we pay a bit less attention to what we actually say to them. And, and in fact, this idea of relevance has come about that you just need to be relevant to this target audience because uh, there is an inherent assumption that they will be interested in what you've got to show them and what you've got to tell them. But actually, all the while, this sort of assumption has crept into the sort of advertising that we used to see for broad reach media as well. And that kind of assumption is there that we've got to show the product, we've got to be relevant to people. Yeah. But relevance isn't enough. If you're speaking to a broad audience, you've got to entertain because people aren't particularly interested in advertising. It's just something that's there in the background. So if you're going to invite yourself into people's living rooms or into onto their phones or wherever else, then you've actually got to say something pretty interesting and do it in an entertaining and interesting way. Because you're targeting doesn't mean the rules don't apply. Because I think you'd assume that, well, I'm targeting you, therefore I should be rational and I should be trying to convert you with a kind of rational message. But it forgets that we as human beings are still operating with our system one, aren't we? To use the system one and system two analogy. Uh, and therefore, it's probably a, a, you know, a falsity to think that you have to be ultra rational, even when you're targeting. What we found was that that kind of ultra rational put the brand or product even right up front can work to drive web effects, web traffic, direct sort of effects. And it works, I think, because it shows the brand up front and it primes people who are already in the market for this product, who are being targeted, who are receptive to it, to act upon it. Oh, yes, I remember brand X. I better go. I think I'll go and look that. But what it doesn't do is it falls short, very short, when it comes to driving market share gain and profit gain. And it's this more right-brained kind of advertising with betweenness and people something unusual happening, you know, perhaps in a real place or something approximating the real world, that is what sustains attention, elicits an emotional response, drives those big market share sort of effects. I mean, give me an example of the kind of online advertising you're talking about. I mean, I know we're recording a podcast, so we might not be able to watch it, but could you give me an example that people might be familiar with? Well, there are a number, there are a number of campaigns on the IPA's databank. And what we found was campaigns like the Yorkshire Tea ads. There's one with Sean Bean, the actor. Who, oh, yes, that's great. You, you, the first s s shot is the, is the yeah, sort yeah. Of door, Yorkshire Tea, sort of, sort of workshop. And he walks in and, uh, and then he gives them a rousing kind of uh, uh, speech because they're, they're new starters at Yorkshire Tea. And he gives them a, a rousing speech, rattling his sabre, literally taking his sword out of his sheath. And, and then you look of surprise and, and, and delight in the faces of the new recruits. I mean, it's very clever in the way that it introduces the brand and continues to reinforce the brand all the way through. But it elicits a very strong emotional response, as we know, because we, we tested it. But it also is the work that uh, uh, sustains attention. 
And there were three things really that we found to elicit attention and and emotional response. And they're character, incident, and place. And if you can describe your advertising by asking the, the three questions, who's involved, what happens, and where is it set, then the chances are you're likely to connect in some way with your audience. If you can't answer, you can't describe your advertising with those three questions. What, what you tend to find is that you've got advertising that doesn't really probably involve people at least doing anything very interesting or out of the ordinary. And a lot of advertising today can't be described that way. You know, it's lots of shortcuts. It's words telling you what to think, very rhythmic, focus on product. There isn't anything really for the brain to latch onto. Those questions that I just mentioned, they're what help us to understand the world and what's going on in the world around us. They're, they're key for empathy. And those, you know, if we can't describe things by asking them and answering them. Then we're in a bit of trouble, really. So that's, that, that, was, that was the sort of what came out of it. And what we found is that the sort of advertising that doesn't sustain attention or elicit an emotional response was this sort of frontality staring into the camera and this self-consciousness that you often get with that kind of style of advertising. That doesn't play very well. It's quite un unnerving when people sit there and stare at you in the face. You want to disengage. And that's become very common in advertising. So this frontality, instruction and product disengages people, essentially. So you've got this tension in online where, you know, you want to show people the brand and possibly the product up front. But the sorts of things that you need to do to work with the platforms might mean that you actually disengage people. And so the answer then, you'd have to turn to characters, incident place, perhaps fluent device characters. I'm not revealing it in this presentation this week, but I will be when I write it up, the importance of, again, of fluent devices, character fluent devices that people recognize and just how important they are in digital too. It's really interesting what you said about when you've got voiceovers, you've got words on the screen. Uh, it's almost they separate you a little bit. They detach you from what you're looking at. Rather than when you've got advertising, as you described it, with kind of character instance and place, you get drawn in you go, I want to know what happens next. But if you've got someone talking at the screen or you've got words popping up, it's a bit like being in school. It's like, we want to tell you about our products and we're going to force you to listen and we're going to tell you the three reasons why. And, and it, it's the sort of me talking at you rather than inviting you into the scene with, with a level of intrigue and a, a plot and all those things. And it got me thinking as you were chatting there, it's the basic ingredients of a good book, isn't it? Or, or a wonderful film. And I wonder, I wonder how similar great advertising is to the sort of mastery of filmmaking and, and novel writing, which maybe we've forgotten. Absolutely. I talk about Mark Twain in the, in the IPA session and what he thought it was all about. And it is essentially came down to those three things, character, incident and place. And I also talk about the, the great cartoons of the 20th century. So Looney Tunes, Warner Brothers. And Chuck Jones, who was the co-creator of those cartoons, thought the same thing. You know, it's, it, and in fact, he thought character was probably the most important thing, mm. because if you've got some characters, normally if you throw them together in an interesting place, something will happen. Something will suggest itself to you. Uh, an incident will probably occur. So uh, characters are absolutely key. And this focus on 
everything has become a bit like Picasso, just uh, individuality has been lost. And, and pe the people presented just a sort of assemblage of parts that could be interchangeable and moved around in different parts of the ad, bits of things. Uh, and we're not really showing, and that's why the, the Sean Bean example, so because it is about a character. And, oh, it's full of character, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. So Bugs Bunny, Mark Twain, and even, as I talk about in the film, the the great painters of the Italian Renaissance, the, of the Dutch Golden Age, um, you look at it through painting, and today's advertising is much more like the kind of Reformation paintings that tell you what to think. There is only one truth, and um, we're pointing at it. And this notion of this pointing at things, which is in the Reformation, you see it in advertising all the time, literally people pointing at you or pointing at the message or pointing at something. It's, it's almost a difference between wanting to control what you think uh, as opposed to inspiring how you feel. And I certainly get that sense when I see what's on the news and we and read social media. So much of it is controlling language. It's controlling behavior. And we've lost this sense of togetherness, of, of, of inspiring each other and looking at what could be rather than trying to control what is. It's it's quite fascinating, isn't it? We've lost humility is what we've lost. Everyone assumes that the, what they think is the right way and there is only one way. And often there are elements of truth in, in what everyone thinks. You have to bear that in mind. But we've lost that ability, it seems. We've become rather brittle and entrenched in our own ways, our own thinking, a bit dogmatic. And that's entirely what the left brain is about, I'm afraid. And, and la la lacking the ambiguity or the context or empathy for other people and... All, the, all those characteristics you describe in your book of being of the right brain. And in fact, it's funny, isn't it, how the, I'm just reflecting on the success of TikTok. And of course, those videos have at their heart, character, incident and place. I think partly been so successful is that it's that sort of, there's something unusual happening. Funny, I'm not the first to say that the unexpected is important in advertising by any means. And one of the things that Professor Karen Nelson-Field talks about in relation to features that sustain attention is the importance of the unexpected. And there was a lovely experiment, I think, run by uh, Google on the black screen. So just showing a black screen. And the idea was that this would be the sort of zero sort of benchmark for attention that no one would be interested in a black screen. But actually, it, when you show people a black screen and they're expecting to see something, this is one of the most intriguing things there is. I say this in Lemon, that the delaying of its fulfillment and then its ultimate fulfillment is what is what sustains attention. And of course, the Looney Tunes cartoons were brilliant at that. Oh, absolutely brilliant. So if we just come back around to talking online again, you described the Yorkshire Tea ad, you described all the features of that caption sustain attention. In the five second world of online advertising, what would be your top tips for any marketer out there who's making an ad right now that has to work in online advertising? What would what would you suggest are the vital ingredients to to work? Well, it, it depends on your objectives, really. If you're looking to drive people to your website, if you're looking for direct kind of effects, then, you know, this sort of left brain work with the brand up front. Think of those first few seconds as a billboard, really. Clarity on the brand. Perhaps just David Ogilvy said, focus on no more than three visual elements, probably less. I was fewer in online video. 
and bold colors. And he said, create a visual scandal is what he said. So if you're looking for to alert people who might be receptive to your brand and you're targeting quite narrowly with your online video, that will help to drive those web effects. If, on the other hand, you're using online video with a, with a slightly broader and you're trying to drive really the really big effects that count market share gain, profit gain, sales gain over a longer time period, then put character incident place in your work. Uh, these are the features that sustain attention for longer. They're more associated with longer attention and they'll elicit an emotional response. But make sure your brand is at the heart of each of those. And, and that's pretty important. Including your brand early in online video is important. And there are ways you can do it which don't detract from the story. One of those is, of course, as I said, character fluent devices but there might be other sort of in, in, implicit ways of doing it, as in the Sean Dean Yorkshire Tea ad. I remember actually my, my old boss, Clark, give him a little mention here. Whenever we did our end of year conferences, he would always put a lot of effort into a team building exercise or going to a dramatic venue or something like this. And there'd be very little content that would have a three-day kind of extravaganza and there'd be about an hour of actual business presentation. I remember saying to him, Clark, shouldn't we have a bit more on the content? And he would go, Johnny boy, people will never remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And it always stuck with me that it's true. Even now we talk about the time we went up a you know, 10,000 foot mountain in the Alps and we, we, we had our sort of had our end of year conference right in a, in a kind of top of a ski resort looking at looking out over the, the Alps. And so it was just dramatic. But that always rang true for me is that you remember based on how you felt about something much more than the intimate details of what was said or what the particular target was that year. You, you look back at all the, anything you can remember, anything in your episodic memory, the things that you've done in your life, and you'll probably be able to associate some kind of feeling with what you remember. Humans have this remarkable ability to forget. If we couldn't forget everything we'd done, our, our minds would be a terrible jumble full of all sorts of inconsequential nonsense. And you wouldn't be able to operate. But one of the one of the great things we can do is remember important things and important things to us are those things which make us usually feel something. And, and that's what struck me as you were talking there about it, it. It's not just that you want to move people, but actually by moving people in your advertising, you're much more likely to be remembered. One of the things I love about your insight around fluent devices that work so well to create those memory structures as Byron Sharp would talk about, but also the emotion you create is going to increase your chances that people will remember you after the ads recognize you quickly in the future in online yeah. video if yeah. you haven't got you haven't got very long to, to make an impression a matter of a few short seconds if that so if people are going to recognize you then a branded character is a very clever way to do that because it also doesn't mean that you automatically switch off if it's done with some charm and interest and it doesn't require any establishing shots either. There's a lot of talk about storytelling and advertising, but I think storytelling is essentially character incident place. And that's what's needed. And characters that you recognize, you can go straight into the scene without having to worry about the plot. Chuck Jones says, forget about the plots. Do you remember the great plots of the Marx Brothers or the plots of Woody Allen? He says, um, no. You remember the characters and you remember their quirks and, they, and all of the things that they, they do that are so memorable. 
And I think that's a really great lesson. I think I, there, is, there are some uh, really good examples of this, which looked at as part of this work. And M and the M&M's characters are, are very good at this. There's very short pieces of film which can evoke quite a strong emotional response and, of course, brand recognition instantly. Each of them have, have a, a humorous character. And another great example from the Mars stable was Snickers and uh, Mr. Bean. You're not you when you're, when you're hungry. Fantastic. All right, listen, let's round here because it's, it's a great place to round up. Just before we do... What would be your top advice to anyone in marketing listening, the top advice based on your latest research on what they should do to make effective advertising? Don't forget or underestimate the power of characters. Focus on what makes characters unique, individual and inherently interesting. And that's not just what they say. It's the way they say it. It's their mannerisms. It's their accents. It's their expressions. It's their funny foibles. These things are what interest us, but also don't forget that they have to do something interesting or be part of something unexpected, an incident, something out of the ordinary, incongruent, that makes you look twice and, and you want to continue watching. And also don't forget where this is set. There needs to be a context for this to happen. And those three things all have to work together and they all have to work in tandem with the brand and that what the brand is all about. And that, that's what the great campaigns that we saw in the IPA set really did. Fantastic. Orlando, as ever, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Enjoyed it. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the Uncensored CMO. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed listening to Orlando as much as I enjoyed asking him the questions. Now, do me a favor. Please do leave me a review. Do subscribe as well so you get notified for any upcoming podcasts. And just so you know, next up is Rory Sutherland, author of Alchemy, a genuinely fascinating conversation between me and Rory. You won't want to miss it. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.